The kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is near. Whenever you pray, pray like this. Your kingdom come. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. As we've studied through the book of Matthew, we've kind of gotten a hint of this idea of a kingdom and that Jesus is the king. Uh, Matthew's trying to point to different prophecies that tell us Jesus is fulfilling all these things, so now Jesus obviously is the king, and, and he's establishing his kingdom. But what does all this mean? What does it mean, your kingdom come? And, and why is he talking about the kingdom of heaven is near, and kingdom of heaven this, and kingdom of heaven that? You know, if, if you're here this morning and you're not really very studious about the Bible, you're not really, you haven't really gone to church much before, and we start talking about kingdoms, you're just like, wait a second, um, we're not in a kingdom, right? This is a democracy, a republic. This is, this is a, we have a president. We don't have a king. You know, that's, that's outdated. That's old-timey stuff, and, and we, don't, we don't really deal with that anymore. Uh, if you were taught about, you know, King Henry VIII and all these other kings, you know how kingdoms go. You know, kings are not really good. They, they abuse their power and they oppress their people. Uh, so kingdom is not really something that we think very fondly of uh, in our day. And yet, throughout this book of Matthew, we've gotten the impression that Jesus has come to establish a kingdom and that he is the king, even though Nothing he's done has really looked like anybody ever before coming to establish a kingdom. I mean, what, what guy comes in and, and just teaches people about the Bible, about the Old Testament, and that's establishing a kingdom, right? I mean, usually it's, it's an uproar, it's an outrage over the oppression of the government and this, you know, uh, rounding the troops and getting them ready to go out and, and fight against the government and, and to take over and to stop all this oppression against uh, Israel. We don't really get any hint of Jesus doing this throughout any of uh, the story so far. All he's been doing has been teaching people about the Word of God in the Old Testament, how he's come to fulfill those things, and, and fulfilling them, and, and performing all kinds of miracles and all kinds of works so that people look at him uh, and think, surely this is a man who has come from God. This, can this be the Messiah? Can this be the Son of David? But as we said last time, they're confused because he doesn't seem like the kingly figure they were expecting. Is he going to take over? You know? and, and so as a result, Jesus gets up and starts teaching them at the first part of chapter 13 in this boat, and he says... You guys aren't listening to me. <laughs> he just tells them this parable. He says, you know, um, there's, there's good seed, there's bad seed, there, there's good seed, there's seed that's sown in good soil, there's seed that's sown in thorny soil, there's seed that's sown in rocky soil, there's uh, seed that falls by the path, there's all these different kinds of seeds. Uh, he that has ears, let him hear. And this parable. And everybody's just like, what, what was that? You know, it doesn't, they don't know what it's about. And he explained it to his disciples. They're not listening to me. They're not understanding the things that I'm saying. Their hearts have grown dull. And this is why I'm speaking to them in parables. So that seeing they will not see. He conceals this great truth in a parable for those who don't really care enough to, to ask what does it mean and to understand it more. He said in verse 11, 
of chapter 13 to his disciples, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. And this parable was helping them understand that they don't understand, that the, the crowds don't understand, but you disciples will understand the secrets of the kingdom. Okay, so what are the secrets of the kingdom? Well, let's look real quick at a survey of what we're going to be studying this week and next week. Verse 24 says, uh, The kingdom, uh, he, he put another parable before them saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to. Verse 31, The kingdom of heaven is like. Verse 33, The kingdom of heaven is like. Skip ahead. Verse 44, the kingdom of heaven is like. Verse 45, the kingdom of heaven is like. Verse 47, the kingdom of heaven is like. <laughs> secrets of the kingdom. Now he's going to reveal these secrets of the kingdom in parables. And all of these pa parables, following the initial parable, have this purpose of explaining what the kingdom of heaven is like. So if you're confused by all this kingdom language, and if you're confused as to how in the world Jesus is a king, well, let's pay close attention to the things that we're about to study and see if we can grasp this concept. What is going on? Uh, how is Jesus the king? Uh, how is he establishing a kingdom? And, and what does all of that really look like? In the first uh, study, we're going to start today. We're, we're not going to get through all of these parables, just for sake of time. But in the first section, we're going to look at three parables that talk about the kingdom of heaven being like different things that would have been common to the people. Whenever we say parable, what we mean is uh, Jesus is telling a story that is very relatable, that everybody would understand. They'd look at that story about the different soils and they'd say, yeah, yeah, I've sown soil on all those different kinds of grounds and I've seen all those different kinds of plants pop up. So, so he's going to tell them parables, stories that they would understand, but connecting the parable to his meaning is sometimes too difficult for anybody, really, unless they go and ask him a question. So uh, two of the three parables he doesn't explain because I think it's understandable. And one of the three parables, the first one here, is going to be a little bit confusing, and so he's going to explain it to his disciples. So what we're going to do... We're going to talk about all three of these parables. We're going to look at all three of them to try to see what he said. And, and the ones we can understand, we're going to try to understand. And then we're going to talk about what all this means and how it reveals the secrets of the kingdom and what, what that means. And then we're going to talk about how that should affect us today. Okay, so that's, that's the game plan this morning. First of all, let's read verses 24 through verse 30. This is called the parable of the tares, or the parable of the weeds. It says, uh, He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servant said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, No. 
lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let them both grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned. But gather the wheat into my barn. And that's all he says to the crowds. He just tells them this parable, this story about a farmer sowing good seed and his enemy coming and sowing bad seed and then it all grows together and they realize what's happened and the, the servants of the master are like, should we tear out the weeds? And he says, no, leave them, let them grow. Uh, and at the end, at the harvest, then we'll cut it all down uh, and we'll throw the weeds into the fire and the wheat into the barn. Okay, so that's the story. What does it all mean? What's the point? What's the purpose? How is the kingdom compared to a man sowing good seed and an enemy sowing bad seed and then this, this harvest at the end? What, what does that have to do with anything? Why did Jesus say this? Well, notice he doesn't explain this to anybody in the crowds after he says this. He just says the kingdom of heaven is just like that. Oh, okay. How many kingdoms do we know that are anything like that? How does that make any sense whatsoever? How is a kingdom like a man sowing seed in a field and another man sowing another seed? I mean, what? doesn't make sense. Verse 31, he tells them another parable. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. Oh, okay. Well, here we have a parable maybe that we can understand. This is pretty simple, right? A kingdom is like a mustard seed. This kingdom is like a mustard seed. It starts out really small, but it becomes something very big. Oh, that's simple. We got that. Okay. This kingdom's going to start out really small. It's going to grow to be really big. And he even uses words here that would have been familiar to the Jewish audience. He says it's going to grow into this large tree. It's bigger than any of the garden plants. So like every other kingdom is like garden plants, and this one's big. It's like a tree in the midst of a garden. But the birds of the air are going to come in and make their nests in its branches. So that's a very common phrase in the Old Testament prophets. It's a popular language that he would use. In Ezekiel 31... He's talking about Egypt, and he says Egypt is like Assyria, not to get you too confused, but he says Assyria was this beautiful tree, and it was so big and beautiful, and it had so much that all the birds were able to come and, bring their, and make their nests there, and all the beasts were able to come and find shade under its branches. It's this picture of a kingdom that's so big that it was able to provide prosperity to other peoples who, who were not a part of it. Uh, and able to bring about great prosperity. In Daniel 4, Nebuchadnezzar is given a dream about this great tree, and it's this beautiful tree that has all of these, uh, you know, it, it brings all these blessings on all the nations of the earth. The, the birds of the air come putting their nests there, the beasts are in the shade, and Nebuchadnezzar is told that tree is going to be cut down. Uh, but still, same kind of idea, a picture of a great tree, and that represents the kingdom of Babylon. Well, in Ezekiel 17, God foretold that he would take Israel and he would cut off the top of Israel. An eagle will carry that and he'll plant it and then the tree will be destroyed and then that, that little sprig is going to become a great tree, a great nation. And so 
what Jesus is saying here about the mustard seed becoming this big tree where all these animals are going to be able to come and build their nests, the people would have understood that. It starts out really, really small, though, and it's going to become something huge. So everybody would be getting excited about this parable. The first one, uh, I don't know what he's talking about. <laughs> Second one, wow, okay, great, you know, great big kingdom. This is what we're looking for. This is what we've always been wanting. And in the third parable, verse 33, he told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. Now, this one's a little bit odd. I mean, everybody understands what's going on because they make bread all the time. Uh, if, you, if you've ever made bread, you add yeast or you add some leavening agent, uh, some leavened um, flour that's mixed with water that has been exposed and there's good bacteria in there and it starts to bubble and ferment and it's leavened. And, and so that leaven spreads and, and transforms the flour and from just flour into uh, some dough that can be made into bread. And so he says the kingdom of heaven is like this leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. It has this transformative effect and it will transform into uh, itself. It will, it will transform the flower into leaven. It will transform the kingdoms of the earth into uh, the kingdom of heaven. So, kind of another picture that we can understand, but it's, it's odd. How many kingdoms do you, do you read about that have a leaven effect? You know, it's kind of a weird thing. Usually, it dominates and destroys all of the others, and then it stands as the most righteous, and they're all subject to it. Uh, so, Kind of an odd picture, but okay, Jesus is telling us it's like leaven. What do all these prophecies reveal? You know, all these parables reveal. What are they about? Uh, why is he telling them all of these things? Well, we struggle sometimes, I think, because we're not first century Jews. We're just not, you know. Uh, as a first century Jew, you're sitting there looking for a kingdom that would be like the kingdom of old, the kingdom under David, a kingdom that has great prosperity, that, that dominates all the enemies and is not subject to anybody, and great, great joy throughout the land, and everybody's hearts have been turned back to God, and everybody's being faithful and being blessed by God. And this is what you're looking for happening. Uh, we find out as we study the book of Acts, we have a history, we have an understanding that the Jews in the first century were looking for a leader to rise up, rebel against Rome, and bring about the salvation of Israel. Uh, a man named uh, Thudius uh, gathered 400 people, Gamaliel tells us this in Acts 5, gathered 400 people uh, to rebel against Rome, and he was killed, and they were all uh, scattered and, and killed. Another man named uh, Judas of Galilee, he does the same thing, and he is killed as well. So there's this mindset in Israel that there's going to be a guy that's going to rise up, everybody's going to follow him, and they're going to go, and they're going to amass this huge army that's going to take over the world like Alexander the Great sweeping through and destroying everybody. Why do they believe that? Why do they think this way in the first century? Well, it's because that's what the prophets promised, right? prophets promise. This is exactly how it's going to happen. It's, it's the way it's always happened with all the kingdoms of the earth. They just, they, they amass this huge following. This guy leads us and we go out and we conquer all the kingdoms of the world. And God promised that he would one day restore the glory of Israel. He would restore this kingdom. Uh, he says this over and over again in the prophets that he would do this. 
In Isaiah chapter 2, it says, It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be lifted up above the hills and all the nations shall flow to it. And many people shall come and say, Come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations and shall decide disputes from many peoples. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. A picture of God's mountain, Zion, becoming the mountain of all mountains and everybody coming to it. And, and it is the kingdom of kingdoms. They're looking for that hope. In Jeremiah, we have a very similar picture that God is going to uh, allow, save Israel, save Judah and Jerusalem. They're going to dwell securely in their land, and, and all those nations around them are, are going to be destroyed. A similar picture in Daniel, that, that God you know, has got this picture of this structure, right? It's this uh, monument, this idol, is gold, silver, bronze, and clay mixed with iron, and then this rock is cut out, and it, it smashes all those kingdoms. In the days of the fourth king, set of kingdom, uh, is, is going to be just smashed and destroyed, and then it's going to be the kingdom of all kingdoms. Daniel 12, a son of, one like the Son of Man is, is brought up into heaven and given dominion and, and authority and a kingdom, it says, that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall never pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. You get this picture in the Old Testament that there's going to come a day when Israel will become the kingdom of God on earth, and it will rule over all the kingdoms of the earth with David, a David-like figure, ruling as the king. So these people are expecting Jesus to establish his kingdom, just like the other kingdoms have been established ever since the beginning. Every kingdom. Uh, you go back, you look at Israel... You look at Assyria, you look at Babylon, you look at Medo-Persia, you look at Greece, you look at Rome, you look at how they developed and how they overtook and became the nation of nations. And you think, well, God's got to do something like that, and so they're looking for someone who will do that. And they think, surely, that's what's going to happen here. But look at this, verse 34. All these things, these three parables, all these things Jesus said to the crowds in parables. Indeed, he said nothing to them without a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. Jesus is revealing something hidden since the foundation of the world in these parables. What is it? Well, let's understand this next section and understand all of this, kind of bring this all together. Verse 36, it says, Then he left the crowds and went into the house. And his disciples came to him, saying, Explain to us the parables, parable of the weeds of the field. And he answered, The one who sows the good seed is the Son of Man. 
The field is the world, and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers, and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He who has ears, let him hear. So now he explains the parable of the, the tares. He doesn't explain the others. They don't, they don't, the disciples come to him saying, hey, explain to us the parable of the tares. What is that all about? That one's really confusing to us. How, how is that uh, compared to the kingdom? Right? It's hard. Well, he says, essentially, the, the main thing, the first thing that I want to point to is, he says, the field is the world. Okay, I've heard people say, and I maybe have thought it at some point, the field is the church. Well, notice he says, the field is the world. So as you're looking at this parable, understand that as you see this guy going out to sow seed, he's sowing it in the world at large. And as he sows this seed, what Jesus says is the, the good seed that he sows are the sons of the kingdom that are coming up. He's creating the sons of the kingdom, and they're coming up in this, in this wheat that is, is growing. But Satan comes along, and he sows his own seed and creates his own sons who are coming up as well. As Jesus is creating this kingdom that's like this field the world that's got these seeds that are growing sons of the kingdom, Satan is sowing, and he's creating his own sons. And Jesus says, they will not be removed until the end of the age. There's a harvest coming at the end of the age when, uh, when they will be separated. Well, isn't that interesting? You go back to verse 29, you remember he said to his, his servants, uh, who, who are like, hey, you want us to go and gather all these weeds and, and knock out all these evil people? Uh, you know, it's evil, the sons of, of the devil, the sons of Satan. You want us to go and take all those out so that then your wheat can grow? And Jesus says, no, if you do that, you'll uproot the good seed. You'll uproot the wheat that is growing and, and hurt it in some way. And so he doesn't do that. Well, that's interesting. So this is, this is the way he uh, explains the parable. I am going in and planting all this good seed, and there are my sons coming up, and Satan is going planting all his bad seeds, and there are his sons coming up. And instead of destroying all of my enemies' seed, instead of destroying all of those who are against my people, I'm going to leave them be until the end of the age. Okay. So, what kind of secrets are being revealed in this kingdom? Well, number one, I think it's pretty obvious that Jesus recognized, Jesus knows that Satan is at work right now. He's planting his seed and trying to stop the growth of his kingdom, of, of those sons of the kingdom. He's trying to prevent their growth as he plants all these seeds. So, as the good seed, as those who are sons of the kingdom, 
what's revealed to us is that we can expect opposition because Jesus is not removing the weeds. He's not removing all those evil people out in the world who Satan is planning to hurt us. He's allowing them to continue to exist. He's allowing them to go on. He's not going to destroy them until the very end. And what he reveals here is, at the end, there will be a time of vindication for those who are his sons and a time of punishment for those who have rebelled against him. The language that he uses here at the end, that they're going to be thrown into this fire, is very similar to what we read about in the prophets, this eternal fire. Um, in Isaiah 66, it says, The worm... For their worm shall not die, their fear, their fire will, will not be quenched, and they shall be an abhorrence to all flesh because they've re rebelled against me. So you see this eternal fire picture in judgment for all the sons of the evil one, all those who are following after the deceptions of Satan that are obviously in the world. And in Daniel 12, you see those who are sons of the kingdom shining like the sun. It says, those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above, and those, who and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. This parable is bringing together the picture of an eternal judgment day, an eternal uh, day when there's going to be a separation that takes place. And he's helping the people understand this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. It also reveals to us that we are allowed to continue to exist and that God is taking care of us by not removing those evil people that we might bear fruit, that we have time to produce fruit. You know, it's interesting. Weeds, in this case, are called tares. Uh, it's actually a specific kind of weed that looks a lot like wheat, but it doesn't produce the fruit of wheat. So maybe there's some who are growing that look like tares, that look like weeds. And those who go in and try to gather all those evil and burn them in the fire, they might be gathering the sons of the kingdom in addition to the sons of the evil one. Jesus doesn't want that to happen. So he allows them to continue to exist, hoping that they will produce fruit. Number four, what we see in all this, as we bring all this together and think about how this reveals the secrets of the kingdom. This is not a kingdom like all the kingdoms of the earth. And Jesus is not a king like all the kings of the earth. He's not going through and destroying all the evil people. He's allowing them to continue. And he's not just immediately grabbing up. You know, it's not like you plant a seed one day and the next day you have fruit and you can gather it all up. He's giving everything time to grow and to become what it will be before the harvest time comes. He doesn't just take it all immediately. He is very patient and waiting, allowing people to have time to become what they're going to be. And as we look at those last two parables now, as we think about the, the nature of this kingdom is not about uh, a king who comes in with this army and destroys all of his enemies, we understand that this kingdom becomes great not because it dominates and kills everybody and then stands alone, but because its spread is more internal. That parable of the leaven kind of shows us this is about an internal influence that Jesus is anticipating in his kingdom until one day it becomes the greatest of all kingdoms.
Now, a lot of these things that I've said uh, about the kingdom may be kind of boring to you. As you're just reading, you're listening, you're like, okay. So you're basically telling us this is not a kingdom that's like China or like America. I mean, it's just, it's this internal kind of kingdom, you know, and, and Jesus is established. I know all this, right? I mean, obviously, Jesus is not a, a king on this literal throne, and he has not conquered all of these nations and set himself up as a king on earth. I know all this stuff. This is no big deal. But to them, this would have been groundbreaking. This would have been things that were hidden since the foundation of the world. And Jesus is revealing all of this to them. Well, maybe you're hearing all this and you're thinking, well, anybody could claim an internal kingdom. <laughs> anybody could claim that, they've conquer, that they're going to conquer everybody, but they're not really going to set themselves up as king over all these nations in this physical way that we can actually see. And, and we really want measurements, right? We want boundaries in our kingdoms. We want to have a kingdom that's like the nations. This is what we desire from Jesus. This is what they would have desired as well. This is why we, we're curious about how many Christians there are in the world. This is why we're so focused on about how many people are coming to church or how many people are at church buildings and thinking about, you know, is, is, is the kingdom growing? Is God winning? Is there, we need some physical measurement, something to look at to say, yes, God does rule, and I feel good about it. As we look in the New Testament, we see that that is very much the case, that God showed himself as the ruler throughout the New Testament and Acts. They're going everywhere, spreading the good news, and there is this internal influence. It's not this external numbering of how many people are being converted, and, and they have this brand put on them that says, I'm now a kingdom of heaven, and then they go and move to this country, and then they become this army and take over the world. There's nothing like that. Instead, everybody is hearing the gospel, believing it, with all their heart, and then saying, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. And they, had, they put their faith and their trust in the God of heaven instead of in the kingdoms of earth. And they stopped looking at the physical things that, that are all around them and putting their trust in them. They started putting their trust in God as their Savior and their Messiah, as the one who will vindicate them when this life is over. And it became a great kingdom. And you know what? That kingdom is now 2,000 years old. And Christ is still in control. And, and he's continuing to bear fruit and he's continuing to spread. The seed was planted and the wheat grew and it bore fruit. And it became more seed and it spread and became more seed and it spread. And at the same time, there has been a spread of the seed of Satan. And so, what do we learn from all of this? How does this change our lives? As we study this and we're just kind of like, oh yeah, it's this internal kingdom. What? Okay. Don't be deceived. We who have put our trust in God, who are sons of the kingdom, are being given time to grow and to produce fruit. Satan has, has planted seeds all around us, to deceive us, to stunt our growth, uh, to keep us from becoming what God ultimately desires us to be. And Jesus is not removing them. 
because that wouldn't be good for us, apparently. He's allowing them to grow up all around us. And at the end of, the, of our lives, at the end of the harvest, it will all be taken care of. Don't be deceived. As we look out at this world, what we see is a lot of people saying things like, we need to elect this guy. And whenever we elect this guy, he's going to turn everybody, uh, everybody's hearts to be after God, and then everything's going to be great, and we're going to be compassionate and merciful, and we're going we're gonna to be this great nation, and it's going to be this physical nation, and the United States of America will be changed and will become what God always wanted it to be. And there's just this focus on all this external kingdom stuff. From the very beginning, Christ made it clear. It's not what he's looking to do. It's not what he came to establish. So don't be deceived by those in the world that are all around us that are trying to get us to focus on these physical things. Because guess what? As we focus on all these physical things and, and put our hope in our nation becoming this great nation and this powerful agent of God, this Christian nation, we're just going to be discouraged. Because Satan has all these workers that are trying to uh, bring about our destruction and hinder us from glorifying God. We're going to think Christ is losing when in fact he may not be. In fact, he never has been. Christ has always been winning. Christ is always producing. If not in this area, somewhere else. In India, in, in the Philippines... In South America, somewhere, there is work that's being done. And if we just kind of narrow our focus into this country and these people uh, and, and, and put our trust in all these physical things that we see and think about the kingdom in these physical ways, Satan is going to prevent us from bearing the fruit that we were planted to bear. And we're going to look a lot like a weed whenever that judgment day comes. And we don't have any fruit. Why would God gather us into his barn? If we're just like the weeds. We're just taking up good soil. And so what we see here is a need to be changed by the word of God. To receive that grace of that seed. And to grow. And to flourish. And to become what God has called us to be. So the question is for us, what are we going to be? Are we going to be weeds that take up space and hinder the growth of others? Or are we going to be shining as lights to God's glory? Are we going to be thrown in the fire? Or are we going to be gathered into the barn? Next week, we're going to continue to look at these parables and see a little bit more about how important it is for us to make the right choice here. But I hope that in studying this, you found an understanding that helps you to make the right decision. Not be deceived by the kingdoms of this world and by the people of this world who are all around us opposing us. Not be discouraged. God's still in control. He's still working. And he will be glorified at the end. If you're here this morning and you understand all of that and you want to be a part of God's kingdom, if there's anything we can do to help you, uh, will you let us know? Please come as we stand and as we sing.